0: Hey, I'm
1: Andrew, and this is Hugging and Learning, the podcast where we look back at very special episodes of TV from the 80s and 90s to see what they have to teach us today.
0: Today, we are watching an episode of Growing Pains called Mike's Madonna Story. The episode is season one, episode six. Uh, you can watch it on Amazon Prime Video. You can rent it for 2.99. The writers are Neil Marlins, who created the show, and Carol Black. And the original air date, November 5th, 19. 19- 1985.
1: Yes, and we have very exciting news about this specific episode. I yep. Just wanted to, uh, to, to shout out to one of our fans out there, Jeff. Yeah. Thank you for suggesting this yeah. episode. Jeff it was we, not on our radar at all, and we're no. very glad it is. And we'd like to share this episode with you today, and thank Jeff. Thank you, yeah. Jeff, who wrote us a very kind email that said we were the best mm-hmm. ever. Um, and, and he signed
0: it off in a very yeah, special said, way. In
1: closing, always keep your brain out of your butt, mm-hmm. which yeah. I think we will do to the best of our ability. Life lesson. Um, no unless guarantees. Unless check, Jeff. it's about a meter, a meter or so. Uh,
0: if you want to send us an email, suggest an episode, that email address is huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. I'm real excited that we have a listener suggestion yeah. for episode 11. This is awesome. I am a little bit. Concerned the snack flow seems to have dried yeah, up.
1: Dried up, people. Get back on things. Um, We're as grateful as we are disappointed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, on our website, huggingandlearning.com, you can find our P.O. box and you can mail us factory sealed snacks that we will enjoy on the air. And we have, this is exciting. We have a little bit of merch. We have like baby it, merch. It's
1: a bitsy amount of itsy-bitsy merch. It's a bitsy
0: merch. We have these pins that um, are very exciting. We're going to send one to Annie, who sent us snacks, and we're going to send one to Jeff, who suggested
1: yep. this episode. Absolutely. So, right in. Get a button. Get a
0: button. Yeah, this is very exciting for me too because I love growing pains. Uh,
1: yes, me too. It was definitely instrumental in my growing up on television. My being educated by, by TV was a solid block of, of growing, growing pains as well. So I Excellent. can't wait to get into this one.
0: Yeah, but before we do, today we have our snack. Hold on, i left the box over I, I can
1: tell you, I've memorized it. Okay. It's Rocky Road Trip Oreos.
0: Please cookie with marshmallow bits and rocky road flavored cream with soy nut inclusions. Yeah. Oh, they're a limited edition. So I'm glad we snapped Woo-hoo! these. Uh, we snapped these. Yeah. All right, let's get into them. Well, you know I love it now, Girl. Yeah, I love- God.
1: Yeah. So Jelsey and I both just took a bite of this and gave each other a straight up Fonzie. Come on. These
0: are great. These are delicious. I don't know what kind of chemicals are interacting with my brain (laughs) chemistry right now to make me think that I'm tasting marshmallow and Rocky Road and all these, this like weird combination of. Synthetic flavors, yeah, but it's working. That's great. They're Thank you, really, for really good
1: delivering a delicious treat. Slash taking a solid year off of my life just
0: now. <laughs> Fair play. Sacrifice. These are awesome. This is um, this is a good. This a, we're starting yeah. off with a bang here. Hey,
1: let's talk about a fucking TV
0: show. <laughs> let's do this. <laughs> Growing Pains uh, ran for 167 episodes, Next. seven seasons between 1985 and 1992, and. I got to say, I'm much more familiar with the latter seasons of this show than the early seasons. I feel like they must have run on the Disney Channel. I think that's where I watched them when I was a kid. I watched a lot of the later episodes. And I think there's... There's an elephant in the room that we need to address before we get into Growing Pains. There is it's one
1: <laughs> giant Vishnu-sized elephant. That's not... We're not going to say that. Ganesh. <laughs> There's one Jesus-sized elephant
0: in the room. Oh, gosh. Uh, if you pay any attention to this sort of thing, which if you listen to this podcast, you probably, probably. do, you know that in the later seasons of Growing Pains, Kirk Cameron found Jesus yep. and became sort of a nightmare to work with yeah, on uh, set.
1: So, yeah, Kirk Cameron becomes a born-again Christian and decides to take the values that he sees in Christianity and start applying them to his performance, to the show. Uh, Starts making demands that they can't do certain storylines that are questionable.
0: Gets a castmate fired and written off the show because he finds out that she posed in Playboy. Yep. Um, Calls network execs as a teenage actor and says uh, we're not doing this storyline this way. Mm -hmm. So... I'm not saying that you can't have whatever beliefs you want to have, but it, when it comes to the point where your coworkers in some cases literally cannot do their jobs because your ego has run amok over this, sure. then it it's problematic. And this is like a well-known Hollywood thing. If you, um, Kirk Cameron now is kind of, Morphed into a quasi-televangelist type character in his later evangelist? years. A Right. Um, <laughs> he
1: makes very spiritual movies. Doesn't
0: believe in evolution, no, this not kind at of all. thing.
1: There's the way of the master that he does with Ray Comfort Jr. Jones. Ray um, Comfort.
0: Ray Comfort. Yeah. So uh, if you want to know more about this, there's all kinds of stuff on the internet about it. Andy and I watched a movie called Connect, (laughs) Connect. which is a, I'm going to use air quotes, documentary. Sure. About how to raise kids in the age of social media that Kirk Cameron uh, produced and shot on a GoPro, I think. I think, I think it was Um, a,
1: a, it was like an off-brand GoPro. You can watch that on Netflix. Like a GoPro. (laughs) And
0: we are going to Definitely do another episode of Growing Pains, a later seasons episode, yeah. what I like to call the Leonardo DiCaprio years, mm. and and you will there will be a marked tone shift by that point in yeah. the storytelling. This, this episode, is well before he even yes. becomes a born again Christian, this is so season so one. We're gonna
1: mention it and then just move on because yeah. there's enough to talk about in this episode.
0: The only thing left to say is that this is definitely a plot line that would probably never have been presented. That definitely would never have been sure. handled in the way that it's handled. In a later season of Growing Pains.
1: Needless to say, if Kirk Cameron finally realizes his plan of building a Christian-themed time machine, he will go back in time and stop (laughs) this episode from being made. It's true.
0: So watch it while you can. Yeah. So let's talk about the ordinary world of the show.
1: Growing Pains.
0: Growing Pains. Do you want to say anything about the credits style? I sure do. Yeah, I thought you might.
1: I'd forgotten what these credits were. So these credits are... It happens every now and then, but I've never seen it quite this heavy-handed, where it's like... Hey, what's our show about a family? Let's show other examples of famous families. But Growing Pains has gone to the next level with this. The first image is two Egyptian hieroglyphs that I'm, I'm certain are meant to represent a mother and father. Mm-hmm. And then the world of art from beginning of time up to the Seavers mm-hmm. about families, which...
0: Laid over one of the most beautiful theme songs uh, in all of sitcom without history. Without question.
1: Show me that smile again. Show me
0: that smile.
1: Which is an odd demand to make show me that
0: smile. It does sound like we're in the middle of a fight. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> again, it's, again, it's a bunch of pictures of families through time. No pictures of cast members until the very last image. Mm-hmm. It's it's the cheers theme song, which it's, it's is pictures of people drinking over time.
1: Absolutely. And but unfortunately in this case it makes it seem like the seavers are like the the final
0: Iteration of (laughs)
1: mankind striving towards family. Platonic ideal family. We finally did it with the Seaver family. Uh,
0: Let's talk about the Seaver family. The family consists of Dr. Jason Seaver, who's the psychiatrist who works from his office in their home. Mm -hmm. His wife, Maggie, is a journalist, and they have three kids to start with. Teen heartthrob Mike, tween nerd Carol, and precocious preteen Ben. Yep. And then later in season six, they'll have another daughter Chrissy. Sure. Um, sure. But we won't see Chrissy in this episode. Yeah.
1: It's your, let's add another kid. It's not cute enough anymore. Yeah. The Late littlest stage. one got too big. Yeah. The yeah. uncle, what's the cousin Oliver? It's cousin, cousin Oliver syndrome mm-hmm. uh, because the first time we see that is in Brady Bunch where they just add a, a cousin Oliver all of a sudden is there yeah. and he is a cute little kid because the rest of them are or just
0: shitty just too
1: shitty preteens there's nothing <laughs> cute about that
0: the f- the family basically lives out a- where do they even live i don't i don't know I know they moved to D.C. in the finale, uh, but I don't like, know where they moved I th- from. I
1: feel like it's just New England.
0: They live in a very nice house. They have a very comfortable existence. And all of the problems of the show normally center around family dynamics and school things. There's not a whole lot of work drama for the parents. It's really. all about the family. It's all Most of it takes place in their home.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, it's real standard fare. I think it's just a matter of... No, that's all I've got to say. It's just standard sitcom, family misunderstanding stuff. And of course, out of that are going to come numerous special episodes. Right. Where it's like, we've got to concentrate on this aspect of the family. And so we get into this particular episode, Mike's Madonna story, which is problematic.
0: And this is another example of, we tried to make an ensemble show about a family and had a huge breakout star.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Kirk Cameron, far and away... Who who thought I had my money on Ben being the hard <laughs> Who's the Before. other one? Who else was the breakout star that
0: we uh, we've done? We've seen this on Family Matters, uh-huh. a Family Ties, mm-hmm. um, where there was a person that was clearly meant to be part of a larger cast and who became it and then all about them. Yeah, and the storylines more increasingly, ever increasingly revolve around this character. Okay, so. The scene opens on the living room, and and mom and dad and Carol and Ben, the younger son, are all there. And my first note is, holy glasses! Look at these glasses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Carol is wearing about five glasses worth of glasses, and so on is one Maggie. Glasses. So is her oh, mom. Sure is. Oh my
0: god, they're wearing these these glasses to take up half of their faces. I mean, these glasses are, and they're like slightly pink tinged. Yeah, the, the, f- the lenses.
1: Nineteen eighty-five. Yeah. Of all the rules that we ever knew about glasses were thrown out Throwing the window, window like you wouldn't do to a it's pair of glasses. It's more of a
0: windshield. <laughs> it than truly is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my just my first notice. What a time to be alive. The glasses.
1: So we open up and um, Carol, brainy, nerdy Carol... Uh, is arguing with her father. Carol's got a a science experiment going on where she's got two plants, and she's going to talk to one plant, care about it, ignore the other one, see which one grows faster, and they need to
0: decide on a name for the plant? Well, they decided the plant's name is Wendy. Yeah, they go with that. Uh, And then little brother Ben comes running in saying, there's a girl at the door, and I didn't invite her in because I don't like girls, which is such a classic little brother move. truly. And then Ben and Dad start eating chips, and Mother Maggie goes to answer the door. So it's not a lot of setup of the ordinary um, world, but we still get, like, this is a family where it's wholesome, we don't argue, it, we you know... We help each other out in we, some we, yeah, ways. Yeah, exactly. We have our
1: little disagreements, but everything's fine. We can talk about plants. Got, we, can, we can talk about plants. That was forbidden in my house when I was growing up. No plant talk. <laughs> so we're right into it. Yeah, so this is clearly happy family is the regular way of things. Maggie chides young Ben for his manners and then goes (laughs) and opens the door to find that someone has rearranged the wicker furniture on the porch (laughs) to make things dramatic and foreboding. (laughs) Because sitting there in a chair facing the door is uh, Lisa, played by Dana Plato.
0: Played by Dana Plato, who played daughter Kimberly on Mm -hmm. Different Strokes. R.I.P. We'll talk a little bit more about about her in a bit. Um, She
1: is wearing, and this is they're they're just going for it. She is wearing a Madonna costume. Yes.
0: uh, This is the call to adventure for sure. This teenage Mm -hmm. girl dressed like exactly like Madonna. She is wearing ripped jeans, a bra, and half a mesh shirt over the bra, and lace gloves. Big earrings, a black bow in her hair, dark sunglasses. I mean, she's chewing gum. Mm. It's a sign of a real rebel.
1: Can I say at this point, I was like, well, this will be Chelsea's favorite episode because the fashion. <laughs> because my the God, fashions. the fashion.
0: Remember, this is 1985. This is about a year after the Like a Virgin video came out. Mm. Madonna has been, at this point, condemned by the Vatican. Sure. Uh, she is seen in the culture... Uh, from a parental standpoint, she's anti-family values, anti-modesty, about as far away from wholesome as you could get in 1985. And so, this is a direct assault, kind of, on this idyllic little family enclave it's, that we have here. It's
1: truly as though one of the writers was like, "Okay, this Madonna's a problem. What if she showed up at your front door?" Oh my God, it's so true. Here's a quick story about the Greg family and our religious <laughs> dealings with Madonna. <laughs> Tell me. Uh, It's real brief. Uh, So we had several sermons at our church. They were about Madonna and how Mm -hmm. she was the worst, and she was Mm -hmm. plunging us all into sin, what with her sexy ways. So much so that they encouraged, and my sister, in fact, carried out, throwing her cassette tape of Madonna into the fire in our fireplace.
0: Wow. Yeah, we
1: burned Madonna's album because we thought that was the right thing to do. So, look, this seems quaint by today's standards, but in 1985, this was the most serious problem ever, which I guess is still a problem, women realizing their own sexuality. Watch out, everyone. That's trouble.
0: I think it was also that she used a lot of religious imagery in ways that religiously just found blasphemous. Sure. Blasphemous. She wasn't just like sexy but out of context. there were, And then it's, it, you know, Madonna has had a long career. There have been various other blowups in later years, things like her performing from the cross yeah. uh, in concert. Like and, in prayer, yeah. Things like that. So I
1: would I would argue that one leads to the other. Like it's a uh, the the attack is on her sexuality. It's very convenient to be able to get through to that through religious imagery.
0: I guess so. I I think she but I think that's kind of um a bit of a discredit to Madonna to say that because she obviously uses that religious She grew up Catholic. She knows what that imagery yeah. means, and she uses it to provoke. This is nothing this kind about Madonna.
1: This is just the way that people freak out about things and you know, no pun, demonize stuff. Is like, well, we need to base it in something that doesn't explore the actual issue. It's because of the religious iconography. But what we're really concerned about is sexy ladies.
0: I think it's all, there's there, you can't really separate the two mm. for sure. So so Lisa saunters into the room. Room and she introduces herself as Mike's like friend and yeah. no one has any idea what to do. They're all just kind of agog. Yeah. Um, and she's wearing sunglasses <laughs> inside. This is not the Siever way.
1: So yes, so mom invites her in. Uh, she's very uncomfortable about all the attitude and midriff. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben hits puberty all at once
0: <laughs> and Runs flees from the room. From the room. Uh, she says she identified, Lisa self identifies, Lisa self-identifies as a woman, not a girl. She
1: considers herself a woman. Mm-hmm. That's
0: what she and says. And then
1: Mike comes downstairs. So she's like Mike's friend. Mike comes downstairs wearing like real fun clothes. Like a Mickey, Mickey Mouse, Mouse shirts. A ball cap and some shorts. Sees Lisa and... Much like Ben a moment ago, turn tails and run. Turns tail and runs.
0: And he comes back down in some sort of leather or suede vest situation, no shirt underneath it, and his own pair of inside sunglasses.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's 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 turned up the Mad Max factor <laughs> <laughs> by about fifty percent. <laughs> yeah, this is ridiculous. So he comes down, he's trying to be super cool. Yeah, it's it's a weird flirtation, obviously. Lisa's into him. She's like, I just broke up with my 27-year-old boyfriend.
0: Right, and Mike says he was just upstairs on the phone breaking up with his 43-year-old girlfriend.
1: Yeah, good call. Um, Way to go. <laughs>
0: his parents are kind of amused by this, I think, at first. His mother, but her, his mother is uncomfortable. Yeah. She puts her hands on him. She sits yes. on the arm of the chair that Mike is sitting in and puts both of her hands on him. Yep. Sister Carol shoots him a quick insult, and Mike suggests that everyone should get lost. Y'all need to go.
1: And then Lisa calls Maggie by her first name, which is the height of, of disrespect. 80s disrespect. That's true. Uh, yeah she's like you know all right if I call you Maggie and this is this is already too much for me I
0: don't even do that with adults that I meet now no
1: no it's mr and mrs yeah still. the first time until so they sorry. say call me whatever even then I'm like no <laughs> can I just keep calling you mr. Please? and Mrs sir and ma'am so the rest of the family uh, goes to the kitchen and Carol talks about his clothing Ben pretends to not be into it even though he has grown a full beard now
0: <laughs> so Lisa's arrival is clearly the call to to adventure, but for whom? We don't know it's a yet. Really Is, good
1: question. Yeah. We
0: don't know yet. Is this a romantic adventure for Mike? Is he the person that's going to go on a Journey, Or is this an adventure in parenting for Jason and Maggie? We don't know. Maybe it's both. But this is this woman is clearly the herald in terms of an archetype. And she has come and she is among her many archetypes. Uh, she has issued the call to adventure. Yes, absolutely. But
1: the one thing is clear. This lady is a threat. Mm-hmm. Watch out, Seaver family. Yep. Dana Plato's going to fuck your shit up.
0: Dana Plato had been written off different strokes just a year before this for getting pregnant. Right. She was 20 and married but her character was uh, a teen and they thought that there was no way to get around the pregnancy. And so they wrote her off the show. There were also a lot of rumors around this time about her drug abuse. And four years after this episode of Growing Pain, she would pose for Playboy. And then yeah. in 1999, she would die by suicide. So she had a very troubled life. Yes. It, I don't know if it Maybe had anything to do with from the time she was in her 20s, people being like, You're the bad girl. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: I mean, to be told that the thing you're doing as a 20 year old woman in charge of yourself is, you know, is enough to be fired from a lucrative career and then sort of being blackballed from there because of bad publicity and tabloid stuff like that. So, very sad. It's always really nice to see Dana Plato, whether it's in this. Or Night Trap mm. The interactive Sega CD game
0: Yeah <laughs> Which
1: is phenomenal Look it up immediately But yeah, so the, the family is now Trying to figure out what to do about Lisa And this is where my favorite last, least favorite line comes into play mm-hmm. Mom says, you kids need to go Because I need to talk to your dad And Carol says, what about Mike's friend with the Major League Yabos? <laughs>
0: yes
1: Uh, what? (laughs) So I did some research. (laughs) Not on yabos specifically, but the word yabos. People incorrectly attribute this word to 1993's Hocus Pocus. Clearly not, because it's 85 and we're hearing it. Also appears in Animal House, uh, which is 1978.
0: Clearly Carol's favorite movie. Yes. No, Carol would never watch Animal House.
1: Uh, Yabo uh, comes from the word yarbo, which means idiot or stupid person. So apparently that has morphed somewhere along the way into yabo, which has turned into a thing for boobs. And then in Anthony Burgess's A Clockwork Orange, they use the term yarbles. Which means testicles. This is that's right, people. This was all the research I could find, and I went the wrong way. Well, that's because yarbles kind of smell sounds like marbles. marbles. Oh oh, no, I'm with you. Yeah, okay. Uh, I couldn't find enough research on it, so I did sort of what I like to call jazz research. (laughs) Where I just, I researched one thing and I'm like, well, let's see what that makes me think of. And then I switched to another topic and then I switched back. And that's how we ended up with a clockwork orange and testicles.
0: Maggie kicks the kids outside. (laughs) So she and Jason can talk about this situation with Um, this girl and her lack of both clothing and respect. Sure. And Jason is trying to keep an open mind. And
1: her overabundance of yabos.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Maggie's problem with Lisa is her perceived lack of innocence. Right, She doesn't giggle the way a 15-year-old should giggle. She doesn't feel awkward or uncomfortable when she asks for Mike the way that uh, Maggie feels like a 15-year-old girl should seem awkward and uncomfortable. The problem is disrespect, the problem is the way she's dressed, but really Maggie's problem, which they bring right to the surface, is that this girl seems, she thinks of her son as inexperienced, which he is, and this girl seems very experienced sexually, which bothers Maggie.
1: Yeah, and I I feel like we're going to come down on the different sides of This. It just feels like she is immediately completely judged who Lisa is based on her appearance and attitude, and immediately has gone, This woman is loose. She's a slut. We have to keep her away from our good son because she is bad.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's actually that cut and dried. I think because this is her first child Mm. that's coming of age in this way, she's having problems like letting go and letting him grow up. I don't... Yeah. So this is why I think that this is, spoiler alert, I think that she's the hero and the journey she's on is... Maggie? Yeah. Is a parenting journey. Because Jason is not worried about this at all, kind of. He's just sort of like, they're gonna, their kids, you know, let them talk. They're in the living room just talking. And then Mike and Lisa come into the kitchen and ask them to leave the kitchen, which is like, dude, you just said private obviously, in the living room. Now you're just being a dick. Now yeah, you're just, like, you're kicking just, your parents out of every room in the house. you're just
1: flaunting your teenage anarchy around right? <laughs> for everybody. Um, so there's a, there's a troubling line here that uh, I did some more jazz research on. Oh, my God. So Lisa says, you know, she reminds them that her – Uh, 27 year old boyfriend that she just broke up with Mm -hmm. and maggie asks how did your mom feel about this she says i think she was really bummed out because i think she wanted to date him herself Mm -hmm. and maggie says i take it your parents aren't together anymore and lisa says what do you mean and then it moves on i'd first taken this as a well you're this kind of woman so clearly your your parents must be divorced but I don't think it's that. No,
0: I think it's if your mom is looking for people to date, then your parents must be divorced.
1: Yes, which is polyamory shaming, in my opinion.
0: I guess. I think this is just Am kind I of reaching? a sloppy. I don't feel like I'm I reaching. I feel like it's just a sloppy joke. I think uh, it's just like set up, set up. Oh, your mom's looking to date people. Your parents must be divorced. Why do you say that? You know, I don't think it's that. I don't think the writers were like, Dana comes from a polyamorous, ethically uh, non-monogamous household. I don't think they put that much thought into it at all. All right.
1: Well, I did. Because apparently I was on heroin when I looked at this episode. Hence the jazz. Uh, Well, skip it then. So... Uh, Lisa says they should like hang out, but Mike has to babysit yeah. Ben and Carol tonight. Lisa says I'll drop by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't know how you were raised, but I think my parents would have just been like, "No, you can't have a visitor over while you're babysitting your brother and sister."
0: Yeah, I don't. I feel like that was not terribly uncommon.
1: Uh, agree to disagree.
0: Okay, agree to disagree. <laughs> I feel like i I did a lot of babysitting and occasionally had people. G- not usually boys, but, like, girlfriends come over.
1: Maybe this is why I'm having such a strong reaction to this. I feel like the attitudes in this were really reflected by my parents. Uh-huh. Just which was reactionary and... Overarching Everything was, like, very broad strokes. Mm-hmm. This girl is evil. Our boy's so innocent. You can't do things. Shut everything down. You can't do
0: things. So
1: she says she's going to drop by. Maggie is worried still. Mm-hmm. She's as worried as she can possibly be. Yep. So we go to the next scene in the living room where Ben tries to murder a plant.
0: Yeah, this is our B storyline.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a confusing day for Ben. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Between. Because he he talks uh, ill to this plant. Yes, he talks he, mean he to talks this plant. smack to the plant. And a leaf falls off of it, which blows his tiny mind. Between that and this uh, sudden surge into puberty, I feel like this day will one day be called Defense Exhibit A. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: Alan, that's all that happens in this tiny scene lit. Ben, that's it. We ben don't have a lot of time. Is mean to the plant. Plant drops a leaf. Ben's eyes get his biggest saucers and he runs out of the room.
1: Yeah, it's a typical Ben thing. Uh, so.
0: Dad is. Dad, Jason Siever, is having a chat with Mike about how one should take things slow at the start of a relationship, but we don't hear this. We just hear about it. Yeah. Dad tells mom, you know, I talked to him. She's still very anxious about leaving Mike alone with Lisa tonight, even though the other kids are going to be in the house. Um, although that doesn't seem to later affect anyone's yeah, ideas about doing anything. Um, she
1: mentions that uh, they should definitely. Uh, get a medical report for Lisa, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's Good totally, stuff.
0: total slut-shaming. Maggie pretty much comes out and says she's afraid that Mike is going to have sex tonight and he's not old enough. And Jason says that if two 15-year-olds want to hook up, they're going to find a way to do it, and them staying home from the movies, the parents staying home from the movies, is not going to prevent him from ever having sex.
1: Yeah, here's here's the thing. This is framed in this idea, which I don't quite get. I mean, I understand the concept of it, but in... General, I'm like, okay, Alan Thicke does this amazingly spooky. The voice in Kirk Cameron's head, like this is the voice of your mom, Mike. I'm so it's really fucking. It creeped yeah. me out. I couldn't look at the screen while it was happening. But at one point, he's like, "If you touch this woman, you'll break your mother's heart." And it's like, is that a
0: thing? What is the deal with that? I don't know what that, that line is very strange. But then he says, he knows our values, he knows that we care about him, and I know that he will consider that anytime he makes one of life's biggest decisions, which that seems like a very fine way to it put this. It
1: absolutely is. The
0: creepy mo- you'll break your mother's heart thing is a little strange. It um, is.
1: Also, this talk is bullshit because Alan Tick has, uh, has pretty much just said, hey, you m- some people take it slow. He's going to do it anyway, but like nothing else is discussed.
0: No, and he's troubleshooting with mom more than Mike here. He's just surely. trying to put her at ease. Yeah. He figures Mike's uh, going to do what he's going to do. And then he later, uh, in a a little bit, he says, Jason says, we can't make this decision for him, and no matter what happens, he's going to live through it. Mm. Maggie says, this is a double standard. They wouldn't leave Carol alone in there with the male equivalent of Lisa, which is a good point. It's a really good
1: point, but it's so Um, convoluted by this point. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. but,
0: But everyone all the time, just in TV and real life, is way more... Chill about teenage boys having sex for the first time than teenage girls. There's a great Vulture article from 2015 called How Characters Lose Their Virginity on Teen Shows Through the Years. Um, None of the shows go, none of the shows that they go into really go as far back as this, but they say, Over the years, we've spotted some consistencies in how TV shows view the big moment. They grapple with being ready, and it's always a bigger, more serious deal for a female character. Yeah. Nothing is discussed in terms of contraception. No. Not even are you emotionally ready for this is brought up.
1: And I feel like that's more a sign of the times. Like, you can't talk about protection on TV at this point in time. Just you can't. You can't do it. Which is
0: a little bit troubling because if the whole point is to start a conversation uh, with your kids about this or within your marriage about this or whatever, the part of that conversation has got to be contraception. It really
1: does. But again, they're doing the best that they can and really the choice should have been let's not do this. Right. But somebody was like, hey, that Madonna's a thing. Let's ride a thing.
0: I'm glad you brought Madonna back up, because Lisa shows up. She sure does. In full-on Madonna drag. She is
1: like a virgin. She's
0: wearing a short, white, lacy dress, like exactly so, like the one from Like yep. a Virgin video. Black sunglasses, fingerless gloves.
1: A veil.
0: Maggie is aghast.
1: <laughs> um, she has been agog earlier. Now yeah, she's aghast. Now she's aghast. She's all the A's.
0: Uh, but there's nothing that... I mean, Jason has convinced her that there's really nothing they can do about sure. this. And so they go... Go to the movies and, and then Lisa comes into the house and is left alone with Mike and the other kids. And then there's a quick shot of them at the movies and Maggie being uncomfortable with yeah. the gratuitous sex scenes of the movies. And
1: then there's a horny old broad behind oh my him who's God. like, sit down, um, I'm trying to watch this movie. A horny
0: old lady archetype. Uh, um, but Jason convinces her to stay. She clearly really is trying try. to like leave. She was yeah. she's she, like, I don't I want to
1: watch this movie. She yeah. excuses it's nonsense. We she's trying this. to go home. Yeah.
0: But Jason convinces her to stay. Uh, In terms of the hero's journey, we are now approaching the inmost cave. We are getting close to the supreme ordeal, the big climax, the big battle. We uh, are seeking the heart of all wonder and terror. Back at the house, yeah. Lisa takes Mike into the guest room. I'm sorry,
1: Mike ends the tour of his house in the guest room. room. Smooth move, Mike.
0: Yeah, and uh, she puts on the full court press. Yeah,
1: absolutely. She
0: starts kissing him, and he starts yapping nervously. She asks, "Do you know what you're doing to me inside?" Which made me want to (laughs) roll over and die. Yeah. Um, that's such a cringeworthy line, but and it's also sort of me... like teenagers. You know, like, it is, no one's smooth at 15.
1: No, not at all. And this is clearly something I saw in a movie once. Right. That, uh, you know.
0: Yeah. She set, she shuts the door and leads him to the bed, and Mike is just scared shitless.
1: Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is, is the comedy here is Mike's really nervous. He, he gets on an exor- exercise machine and starts biking like he's just taking a speedball. <laughs> Uh,
0: and it's not nervous like, a, I'm excited to do this, but I don't really know how to get into it. I'm a little yeah. shy. It's, I'm nervous because I shouldn't be here right and, now. Which
1: is, that's fine if that was the thing. But it's more like, boy, oh boy. It's just humor. It's not, they're trying to get through this scene as funny as possible.
0: And she's taking his shirt off, and yeah. he's trying to talk about schoolwork. and
1: do the old, I'm not a virgin thing. Yeah, which, she's you like, know. you're a
0: virgin. And he's like, oh, I'm not, but... He's clearly not ready for this, and the camera keeps panning around the room to pictures of his mother.
1: Yeah, is it Joanna Kearns? Yeah. Joanna Kearns' headshot at one point looks (laughs) with disgust, (laughs) and then when it looks like they're about to get down to it, it pans tastefully over to a picture of Maggie and tiny baby Kirk Cameron (laughs) to really drive the point home.
0: They pan away from this makeout session on the bed, and we aren't we're supposed to not be sure what the outcome will be. Sure. So cut back to the living room where Ben has somehow killed Carol's plant but sure. he not a minute and yeah. they're fighting and the parents come home to this and Mike's nowhere to be found and so this is a little bit of a, he's supposed to be babysitting and therefore moderating these fights but He's now neglecting his familial duties because sure. of his sexcapades. What do you
1: what do you think about Jason Seaver's parenting style at this point? Because he comes into the room. Carol and Ben are almost, they've almost come to blows over yep. this thing. Nerdy, ineffective blows over this thing. Carol accuses Ben of killing the plant. And Ben says, no, I didn't. And Jason Seaver's idea is, well, here's the thing. I'm going to ask Ben... If he has killed this plant and if he can look me in the eye and say he didn't do it, then we're never gonna talk about it again.
0: I think that works well if your kids are already good.
1: Yeah. You can that's <laughs> that's just called that's just called a free pass yeah. <laughs> for any other kind of a kid. It's like, yeah, I'll look it in your face. Am I out of trouble? Bye. Bye. Uh, never talk if you said you never said, again. You said we we're gonna talk about this. You looked me in the eye and said we were never gonna talk about this again. Jason. That's right, this kid has gone bad. And- It turns out,
0: it turns out Ben admits to his father that he killed the plant, but he was trying to save the plant.
1: puts a bunch of plant food Plant food,
0: food. yeah, too much plant food. It's classic sitcom kid shenanigans. He was... He was so freaked out that he made the plant drop a leaf by insulting it that he tried to save the plant and kill the plant.
1: So he's been having violent thoughts and, you know, he doesn't understand this his own mind. This plot line is
0: nothing. It's not. This I'm really trying to inject
1: nothing. things in there about yeah. poor Ben losing his mind and puberty and becoming yeah, a Yeah, they didn't even go
0: for a C plot line. Do
1: I do that too much uh, when we do an episode? Do I Am I just, like, trying to find the person who's going to become a serial killer?
0: Yeah, this is, like, the third time I he's done it. it. Well, of- I
1: think it is. All right, to be fair. A lot of this broad comedy lends itself to, well, that's sociopathic, the way that you're acting right now. This is, you're acting in a way that doesn't make any
0: sense. I think we live in a world where the words sociopath and psychopath get thrown around a lot. Yeah,
1: I do that throwing.
0: Yeah, I think that it's dangerous to armchair diagnose people with psychological conditions. Really? Do you
1: think I need to sit down with Ben Seaver before I can do this? I
0: think maybe every time someone does something you don't understand, you don't need to label them with a psychotic condition.
1: Well, you're just being sociopathic now. Yeah, see? That's dangerous. You're being sociopathic, too. God, everybody in this room is sociopathic. <laughs> when I talk about a possible character whose mind has broken into, and I suppose that eventually they're going to resort to murdering people in a ritualistic way in order to deal with this traumatic event that we're witnessing, what would, how would you like me to refer to them?
0: This is all hypothetical. I know, but
1: what are we going to do? I want to make sure that I'm being as sensitive as possible to How these made up characters. How many times are you going to say I this? I guess every fucking episode. <laughs> uh, well, it's three out of ten now, so. Well,
0: yeah, maybe just say, like, and then Ben goes on to have a psychotic break and not put a diagnosis on it.
1: Uh, okay, so Ben has a psychotic break and may or may not murder somebody later on, but we should accept uh, his choices in life, be they murder of uh, animals or not.
0: That's what Jason would have us do. Uh,
1: Friday the 13th, Jason?
0: No, Jason Seaver.
1: Fair enough, both. Hey, where the fuck are we in this? <laughs>
0: in the terms of the hero's journey, right after plant death comes the Supreme Ordeal. Yeah. So here, it's the climax. It's the big showdown. Mike is in the kitchen, despondently reading a magazine. He's
1: reading Windsurfer magazine. <laughs> Lisa
0: is gone, and Maggie walks in there, and she clearly wants to ask him if he's had sex, but she can't really bring herself to do it straight out. So,
1: so she goes to the freezer and gets the tiniest family-sized portion of so ice cream small. I've ever seen. It's like a Third of a gallon or a quarter
0: it's very of a small. gallon. That's mama's ice cream. It doesn't no make one any else sense. touches that ice cream. Yeah. This is where I fully come in, fully come down on that Maggie is the hero of this episode. It's in terms of the hero's journey. Yeah, I can see that. It's interesting because they've tried to marry these two journeys and uh, sort of intertwine them in a way that's interesting that we don't often see. But Mike is eventually going to have sex, whether it was today or another day, and she has to figure out how to deal with that and think of her son as an adult and not a tiny, innocent child anymore. And so this is her moment to really stare at this person who is growing up and having Growing pains, Oof. and she asks him a bunch of leading questions, <laughs> sure. and Mike doesn't really take the bait. And eventually, he says, uh, "Nothing happened, Mom. She wanted to sleep with me. I didn't do it. I'm probably gay. Are you happy now?" Probably, gay. and storms out. And then she calls him back in and says, "We're not.
1: We're not. We're not going to stop for a second and and talk about this. I'm probably gay." Thing? Yeah, because
0: the next line is she calls him back in and says, "I'm pretty sure you're not gay." Cool. And then this is all we get about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a straight laugh line. The audience yeah. goes wild at Mike saying that he's probably gay.
0: I mean, I I can't help but look at it through a 2019 perspective and be like, I wonder if he's legitimately questioning his sexuality.
1: You are you are giving this episode such a free pass. This I'm, is just—I
0: really don't think it was handled as poorly as you do. I, look, they're saying like, if
1: you don't have sex with a woman, it's so emasculating that you must be gay. Therefore, being gay must be the least masculine thing you can oh, be. Oh, I see. And it is—it is in that way. Uh, uh, That some of these TV shows function like old-timey racism functions where it's just you skip over all of the setup to that joke and it's just I'm telling this joke and we all must understand what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. That's deep-seated prejudice Mm -hmm. where you don't have to have a premise for it. You just say a thing, everybody laughs because we're all on the same page because society is fucked up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I'm really glad to be the outraged one in one of these episodes. Yeah,
0: I, I thought he might actually be questioning, like, here's a girl that wants to have sex with me, and I didn't want to. Do I like girls? But you're saying that you took it as a, as it's a, a pr- one-off joke. Yeah, okay. it's,
1: he's saying, like, uh,
0: Maybe it's just my 2018 lens on it.
1: Not fair, but I, I grew up during this time, and... That was kind of the way things – that was the way things were. Excuse yeah. me. I'm going to turn to dust now. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, the, that was the height of insult. It was either you called somebody a girl, mm-hmm. uh, you called the other guy a girl, or you called them gay. And yeah. that was like there's something wrong with you. You called things that were incorrect gay. You use yes. the other F word all the time. So, so yeah. many childhood movies and such are ruined because yeah. that sort of prejudice was so overlooked. Right.
0: Maggie says, I don't think you're gay. Some people want to wait for someone they love. So the, Sure. And he's like, I didn't do anything noble. I just wimped out. Yeah. And so this is an interesting discussion they're about to get into. And the reason that I don't think this episode is terribly handled is because they're about to navigate a question that almost always, at this point in time, it is broached from a moral or religious perspective mm-hmm. without any of the framework of religion. They're about to walk through this miasma of teenage sexuality without any of that language to fall back on. And I think that it's handled kind of well. I think a lot of things were left out, primarily the contraceptive conversation that needs must happen when you talk to a teenager about sex. None of that ever gets brought up. But Maggie does ask Mike, do you care about Lisa? Do you actually care about her? Her feelings, whether she's happy or sad, what happens to her? And Mike admits he doesn't actually have real feelings for Lisa. He doesn't want her to get hurt. He says, I would be sad if she got hit by a truck. Yeah. Um, But I don't think that she has special feelings for me either. Yeah. And so Maggie says, all you missed out on really then was doing something incredibly meaningful with someone who doesn't mean anything to you, which is an interesting argument. Yeah. And, and a way to put it, I think that feels like, Oh, that's, this is not an act that in and of itself is wrong, But this is a thing that's better shared between people who actually care about each other.
1: And see, I agree with you on this. That is a a wonderful message to try to instill in a kid. That was something that was instilled. In me, in my religious teaching, it is sex is special. You should spare, share it with someone special when you fully comprehend what it is you're sharing. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, like my upbringing, it's so clouded in, like, slut-shaming and fear and mistrust and this panic that it really loses its, you know, special feelings about this. It loses its impact because we've really approached it from a place of fear Mm -hmm. instead of this is, you know, something special. It's just a a general confusion between fear and caring Mm -hmm. that happens – too often and really clouds messages in a way that makes them much less impactful.
0: I agree. The front loading of the slut shaming in this episode. Yeah. Um, You've got to load that in the back. Yeah. To get to this point of this very sort of mature conversation, <laughs> it, it, cl- it does cloud it. But yeah, I, I it really feel does. like this scene is very effective. Yeah.
1: Oh, no. This scene by itself is great. Also, what's effective is Maggie says that her husband, Jason,
0: yeah, had sex yeah, yeah. before her. And yeah. it's like, cool. She she kind of brings it home by saying, when the right girl and the right time come along, you'll be feeling anything but wimpy. And Mike sure. says, you're probably right. So it ends on this note of like, sex is not... Bad. You are not a bad person for either wanting to or not wanting to have sex, but you should wait for the right time and the right person, the Absolutely. person you care about. Yeah. And also, as soon as we stop rolling, let's have a conversation about contraception and uh, STI prevention. Um,
1: also, can we have a conversation about how there's a dirty old baseball in the fruit bowl?
0: Yeah. <laughs> no. missed <laughs> that? Dirty,
1: disgusting a baseball. Um, oh, boy.
0: Yeah,
1: One and that baseball ruins the bunch, as leases a, the baseball.
0: <laughs> and as you said, out of left field, kind of mom pulls this sex positive, you don't have to wait for marriage maneuver by telling Mike that his father, and by extension, she kind of implies herself, weren't mm. weren't virgins when they got married. Sure. Um,
1: it's a clever enough way. She says, your father, you know, waited until she, he met the right person to have sex implying that it's herself, and yeah. then she says, I met her once, she's She very was nice. great, yeah. That's a solid joke, that's yeah, good, Yeah, yeah, it's that's a good, good.
0: joke. Um, and it feels very progressive and reaffirms their liberal values. Yeah. And I think, so as I said, I think the journey we've just witnessed is actually Maggie's journey as a mother of a newly sexually aware teenage boy, and she sticks the landing. If we look at all of the slut-shaming and the instantaneous judgment of this girl that comes to her house dressed like this, et cetera, as maybe her, is not the insensitivity of the writers necessarily, but maybe like Maggie's own shortcomings in dealing with this, like stumbling and falling and being presented with obstacles and not doing the right thing, as contrasted with Jason, who's just kind of like, yeah, whatever, it's going to be fine the whole yeah. time. Um, then at the end here, it's interesting because she really sticks the landing. There's a moment missing somehow of when she comes to grips. She goes from at the movie theater being like, we gotta get home. And there's when sex she gets movie, home, da, da, like, da.
1: Like, storming through the house to try to find him, and then she's very calm yeah. suddenly.
0: once she finds out he hasn't had sex, suddenly she's like calm enough to deliver this speech. There's like a it's hiccup. Very, yeah. There's a misstep in this journey somewhere where she realizes something about herself, or something happens internally. Exactly. But the, the ending is good. I like this last the scene. The
1: ending's perfectly fine, except for that baseball and the fruit bowl. Oh and God. the fact that mom Also says Major League Yabos (laughs) (laughs) So The uh, very last image that we see Kind of a tag to this episode Or something that happens after the action Just to sort of end the whole thing Jason checks on Mike Who's in the guest room We don't see him He's like okay there Mike Have a good night Sleep well and then we pan over to see that Mike is furiously pedaling on the exercise bike yeah. because testosterone. And then we all laugh and show me that smile.
0: show me that Yeah.
1: Don't waste another minute on that exercise bike. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the end of this episode. And I feel like ups and downs on this one. Yeah,
0: I like this episode because it's the first time you and I seem to have Disagreed I, on how I, something I was, just was handled. About to say, I
1: feel like I learned more about us and podcasting yeah. today than
0: I did about
1: <laughs> anything else. So, speaking of which, Chelsea, what did you learn?
0: I think I learned that or confirmed that plot lines that deal with the loss of virginity for boys are, it seems like, a lot less of a big deal than for girls across the spectrum of teen shows across time.
1: I learned that I can be more outraged about a thing than you can, which is really <laughs> interesting to me. I found out, I learned about about jazz research,
0: uh-huh.
1: and I learned that our podcast can really go off the rails sometimes, <laughs> and that's okay.
0: Uh, well, who did you want to hug?
1: I want to hug Dana Plato. Yeah, me Not too. Not the character, Dana Plato. Okay, Sam
0: wanted to hug Lisa, but it amounts to the same thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, she's really... Troubled. Yeah, and she doesn't get a lot of credit from the beginning. She doesn't.
1: She's just a villain in this. I and would love it's for like, her
0: to be like yeah, I don't really study anymore since I got early admission to Harvard. Or, Wouldn't that have you know, been like great? Something like that would have no, been like, a solid joke.
1: I'll come by later tonight after I'm done with my classical flute lessons. Exactly.
0: That would have been a hilarious joke. That would have joke. Been
1: fantastic, but it's too much nuance. Yeah. And I feel bad because I'm interested in Lisa as a character, and I don't get anything other than look at what she's dressed like, look at how she's acting. Yeah,
0: she's here for sex.
1: I feel like we should write fan fiction about Lisa, like her backstory. Yeah, and, and how, how she, she goes
0: on to, like, be the youngest female self-made billionaire or right. something.
1: And then uses those funds to cure cancer. Yeah. All while fucking anybody she yes, wants. Yes,
0: exactly. Exactly. Do you know
1: what you're doing to me inside? Well, let me explain it to you on a molecular (laughs) level because as somebody who has a degree in biology, I can do that. As a
0: sex-positive biochemist, (laughs) let me explain to you what's happening. As a
1: sex-positive biochemical engineer Uh uh and uh, astronaut. Yes. (laughs) And a princess. My new
0: new hero, Lisa, (laughs) sex-positive biochemist astronaut princess. Uh
1: That is amazing. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) tune in next (laughs) time for more adventures of lisa and thank you so much for listening today hey chelsea what are we watching next week
0: i'm so excited we are watching designing women Mm. season three episode six hard hats and lovers unfortunately you can't stream this anywhere online but if you're in la head to the paley center and check it out
1: and real quick of course we want to thank jeff thank you so much for writing in and thank you for suggesting this episode It was amazing.
0: What a wonderful tone to set for our first listener recommendation. Absolutely. Thanks again. Button coming at you. Uh, We'll see you next time. Bye.